Right, we come to our reading uh, for this evening, uh, this morning, sorry. Uh, we are working our way through the book of Ephesians, and we find ourselves today um, in the second half of chapter 2. Uh, you'll find this on page 1174 in your church Bibles there, should be in a, in a chair in front of you. That's 1174. It's Ephesians 2. And we're starting at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Well, it's great to see you this morning. My name's Neil, one of the pastors here. Simon, my colleague, is on holiday, but back tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, you'll see them again this coming week. And it's definitely going to help you today to have your Bibles open in that passage in Ephesians, page 1174. Um, and we're thinking today about how everyone can find their home in the Church of Jesus Christ. So that's the, the title for today. We believe that everyone can find their home in the Church of Jesus Christ. It kind of escaped your notice that there's a pandemic in the UK, but I'm not talking about COVID. But like COVID, this pandemic kills. And like COVID, this pandemic cuts people off from one another. And like COVID, it creates social isolation. And like COVID, it can make people feel so scared they stay in their homes or frightened when they're out in crowds. The pandemic I'm talking about in this country is loneliness. The charity Campaign to End Loneliness, which has been running about 10 years, so precedes COVID, said that about 45% of UK adults feel lonely at some time and 5% of adults always do. Older adults are the most affected in our country, 
I was shocked, but maybe you're not, that half a million older adults don't see at least one person for five days each week. They are completely alone. 40% of older adults in the UK say television is their main companion. The figures are also bad for people who are disabled, long-term ill, um, or have other social problems, if they're widowed, for example. And all of these things have a massive effect on our country. About the chances of dying increase by 26% if you're lonely, and the cost of the UK economy is estimated at about £32 billion a year with all the issues related to loneliness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a place where people didn't need to feel lonely anymore? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a place where older people felt valued rather than ignored? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a place where people with disabilities and long-term illnesses were included in the community? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a place where ageism and classism and sexism and nationalism had no place? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the church of Jesus Christ stepped up in the way that Paul says here and did its job? You see, we tend to regard our faith very much as between me and Jesus. If I'm doing okay, then that is okay. Actually, if I get something out of church, well, then that's good. And I might come to one service or to an event that fits for me and my family. But really, it's about me and Jesus. And Paul says that isn't so. This book of Ephesians is written to the church family, to the community, and he begins, as we've seen, with our relationship with Jesus, that as Christians, we are blessed people, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms, chosen before the dawn of time, as we've sung today, rescued by Jesus in a moment in history, and now brought into a family. And Paul wants to pray those blessings into our hearts, that we would appreciate what God has done for us and grow in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. But having been through those things that are mainly about our vertical relationship with God, Paul then broadens out and says, do you know what? It's about the family. It's about brothers and sisters united in those blessings in Christ, whatever their background, wherever they're from, whatever they do. And it follows a similar pattern to last week. Do you remember last week began with the bad news? The bad news that we're dead, disobedient, and deserving of God's wrath. That's where we began last week. And then there was one of those classic but God moments. Without divine intervention, we would have remained dead, disobedient, and deserving of God's wrath. But God intervened in the person of Jesus Christ. And by grace, he rescued people like you and me, who otherwise would have been utterly helpless to save ourselves. And today, he doesn't focus on our helplessness, but our hopelessness without Christ. So last week focused on how helpless we are. We cannot save ourselves. This week says, without Christ, we are without hope. There's a hopelessness. And it begins again with the bad news. It begins with what we were without Christ. 
a reminder to these Christian folks who has just spent all of these verses explaining how blessed they were that that wasn't where they began. Then he talks about what we've received from Christ as a gift. And there's a list of amazing blessings here. And then he talks about what we are now becoming in the Lord Jesus Christ because we've been saved by grace. So let's go for a deep dive into these verses together and let's see what's here. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Paul wants to remind them of the bad news. He wants to remind them of where they began. And the first century world was divided. Like Our, our society is divided, isn't it? There's racism. Some of you know that firsthand. There's classism. People look down or up at people depending on how wealthy they are and their background, their accent, all of those sorts of things. There's ageism. There's ageism in our society. Back then it affected the elderly and the very young. Children also had no status. But perhaps the biggest divide of all is the one that Paul addressed here that threatened to tear the whole church to pieces. It doesn't really affect us so much anymore, so it can feel like a lot of the New Testament isn't really addressing an issue that's a big deal to us. The main theme today is on Jews and Gentiles and how they get along in one church. But actually, the church of Jesus Christ today is majority Gentile, non-Jewish. I'm not from a Jewish background. I don't think many in this church are. We're Gentiles from many different nations, but we're not Jews. But in the first century, that was probably the starkest divide of all between Jews and Gentiles, and there was hatred on both sides. So the Gentiles, the Roman kind of influenced nations around Israel, were dominant. Rome was in charge. And they had many gods, many temples, and their worship was more like we would associate perhaps with a nightclub or an orgy. So actually, if you went to a Roman temple, you wouldn't be sat neatly in rows like we are now. You'd have come past hundreds, if not thousands, of prostitutes on your way in. You'd have picked one, if you were a man, that suited your needs. Could be male, could be female. They didn't discriminate. It was an open society in that sense. And part of the worship would involve drinking and sacrifices of animals and feasting. And anything went. And those folks were often incredibly cruel to the Jewish people they ruled over. They mocked them, they laughed at them. They messed up their religious ceremonies if they could. They understood some of the things that would offend them the very most, and they did them to them. So there was hatred on that side. But the Jewish people were an oppressed minority. They had one God, one temple in Jerusalem. They were very clear on what the sexual ethic of the Bible was. One man, one woman, together for life. They were clear on that. So they stood out in that way. They were under the covenant of circumcision. They believed they were included in God's promises. And they were very proud of the fact that they didn't eat ever with Gentiles. You wouldn't sit down across a table with a Gentile. You wouldn't go into a Gentile's home. They were kept themselves as far apart from Gentiles as they could as a mark that actually they were better. And if you went into the temple, 
In the very far side of it, one side was the Holy of Holies where God dwelt. And once a year, one Jewish man, the high priest, got to hang out with God for one day only. Back from there was a temple area for the priests. Back from there was a temple area marked off again for Jewish men. Back again was a temple area marked off for Jewish women. And right back over here was an area marked out with a wall that was for non-Jewish people. That was as close as they were getting to a God who was over there. If we were alive then, that's as close as you would have been able to get. And on it was written these words, according to the Jewish historian Josephus. It says, there was a stone wall for a partition with an inscription which forbade any foreigner to go in under pain of death. And the hatred amongst the Jewish folks of the time was so extreme that it was often said that God had only created the Gentiles so there would be fuel to burn in hell. That's where we're beginning today. Could it ever happen again? Some of you are older here, aren't you? Some of you here old enough to remember the Second World War. Some of you old enough to remember the hatred that existed in Europe where people were treated as fuel for fires, gassed to death. Some of you a bit younger, do you remember Rwanda, where people killed each other out of racial hatred for one tribe against another? There's something in the human heart, you see, that's prone to division, something that's prone to hatred without help. And Paul basically wants to take both these groups in hand, because he's saying to them, if you're really going to be church, if you're really going to be the family of God that you need to be, these old divides, these old wounds are going to have to be healed. And he briefly addresses the Jewish folks who are in a minority in Ephesus. And then he spells it out to the Gentiles just how blessed they are to be in Jesus. So look what he says here. He says, Therefore remember that you who are Gentiles, non-Jewish people by birth, and called uncircumcision. That's not a biblical word. That's a slur that the Jews used to use to say, you're not one of us. You're the uncircumcision. Not a word that God ever intended to be used by those who call themselves the circumcision. And then he throws in a little curveball to remind them of something which is done in the body by human hands. You see, God never picked people according to their race. He never picked them according to how or where they were born. God always wanted circumcision of the heart. And so in Romans, that passage that you can see up there now, Paul actually spells it out. He says, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So Paul throws that in there, and then he addresses the Gentiles, the majority, and just says that you need to remember where you were coming from. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. You didn't have him as your king. Remember that at one time you weren't citizens in Israel. You didn't actually belong to God's kingdom. Remember you were foreigners to the covenants of promise. There were amazing promises in the Old Testament, but they weren't for you. Remember that you were without hope. 
All that would have happened to you when you died is that you would have gone to hell, away from God. And you were without God in this world. You didn't know him. You didn't have a relationship with him, which you now do. And as we start off here today, we need to remember that's where we all begin. We're not born under God's blessing. We're not born with Christ as our king. We need to actually come to him and say, Jesus is Lord. We're not born as citizens of his kingdom or included in the amazing promises that God gives to anyone who turns to him through Christ. They're not our promises. We don't have hope. One of the saddest things I see sometimes are people whose lives are coming to an end and they have no hope. It is just tragic watching people whose walls are closing in around them, but they still won't turn to Jesus. They're terminally sick. They've got incurable illnesses. People that I love have got really horrible things wrong with them, and yet they don't know Jesus. They're without hope, and they're without God and the comfort that he brings in this world. And that is a frightening and terrible place to be. And Paul doesn't want us to miss that any more than last week. He wanted us to miss that we are dead. We are disobedient by nature and we're deserving of God's wrath. But just like last week, Paul then spins the whole thing on its head. And there's another one of those wonderful but now moments in scripture. Did you see it there? He just says there's some amazing things that Jesus has done for you. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then at the end of verse 16, he says something similar. He talks about them being basically included in what God has done um, through the cross of Jesus Christ. That in one body to reconcile both of them, Jews and Gentiles, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. This begins again by reminding us that actually through what Jesus did on the cross, there's a way for people like you and me to be reconciled to God, to be brought back into a relationship with the God who made us, to know him. And it was done in the most costly way. Verse 13 says it was through his blood. Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. It was through, do you see verse 16, his death on the cross. There was no other way to actually deal with what's wrong with us except through the cross and the blood shed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet once that blood shed, the blessings we receive are amazing. So it's been now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verses 17 and 18, it says, Christ came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Do you remember that temple? Do you remember over here was the Holy of Holies? Do you remember how many people got access to God? Do you remember how often? One person, one day of the year, got access to God. And where were we? We were right over here, weren't we? Shut out with a wall between us and there, and court after court after court. And if you had stepped over the line, do you remember what would have happened to people like you and me? And it nearly happened to the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. This isn't theoretical. 
They killed people for stepping over that line. It's totally legitimate as far as they were concerned. We were here. But now, through Jesus Christ, we walk straight through. And this morning, in your heart, if you've been singing praise to God Almighty, if you've been praying as Dan has been praying with us, you have access to Almighty God. He has been listening to you. He's been meeting with you, but you have been meeting with him. I don't know who your favorite band are. When I was back in the 90s, when I was a student, you two were my favorite band. They were the biggest band in the world at the time. And I queued up overnight with my mate Joey from the US to get tickets for the Acton Baby Tour. Uh, it was an amazing gig. I, I was so glad to have been there. They've suspended cars as glitter balls off the roof of Wembley. It was just amazing. Never seen anything like it. Uh, I had so much fun. Here's what didn't happen. They didn't invite me backstage afterwards. I didn't get to sit down with my heroes. Bono didn't have a chat with me. The Edge, to be fair, ignored me. Uh, Adam and Larry, I'm not even sure they knew I was there. You know, that's what worship in the Old Testament to a degree was like. You could worship God, but it was a distance. Even some today, there's God out there somewhere, but they're not sure he's there for them. Brothers and sisters, that's not true for us. We have unlimited access to God. You can go into the backstage of history here this morning. You can sit down opposite the God who made you. You can pour out your heart to him. You can tell him what life's like. And you know what? He listens and he cares. He's your father in heaven. And he loves you like no other. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come so we could spend a couple of hours together on a Sunday and go home. He didn't come for church as club. He came so that you and I together can have access to the living God. Now and for all eternity. It is an incredible blessing. But there's one more really important thing here as well. One more thing that he came to do, and it's this. He came to give us peace with other people. You see, loneliness is an inner and outward thing, isn't it? Some of us are lonely because we're restricted socially. Might be because of illness or disability. But actually, for a lot of us, it's an inner thing. We just feel that no one really gets us. We've been hurt before, so why would we put ourselves out there again? We withdraw. We cut ourselves off from others. And we're very British when people ask us how we are. How are you? Fine. How many conversations like that do we have every single day? I had three this morning just walking down the rise. Morning, how are you? Fine, fine. Are we fine? Am I fine? I'll leave you to decide how we are. But you see, there's another amazing blessing of coming to Christ, and one that we also need to realize and know. Verse 14, he himself is emphatic, is our peace. That's an inward thing and between people who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. The wall here has been blasted down. In fact, all the courts have been taken out. They're just one space to be now. You're either in God's presence and one of his people, or you're not. 
But if you are, you've got full access to God, but you're one with others too. The two groups won and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. All the things that would have kept people apart, stopped Jewish folks from mixing with Gentile folks, blown away by his death on the cross. Stop people like us from all ages and stages and backgrounds, from mixing and getting on, taken down by the blood of Christ. Why? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. That's what Christ came to do, to create one multi-international body. There's one united kingdom. I'm Scotland don't generally want to be part of this, do they? We're not a united kingdom. We call ourselves that. We're a, we're a barely held together kingdom. There are always bits trying to escape. Even Cornwall's talked about going. We are not the united kingdom. The united kingdom is the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom that extends as far that way as you can run, as far that way as you can run. Run out of that door and keep going, and when you come back in that side, you know what you'll have found? Christians everywhere, united by the blood of Jesus, thrilled to call him Lord and Savior, knowing that he came to rescue them, that they might have complete access to God. Hundreds of millions of us around this world would say we're born again by the blood of Jesus. Did you do that for yourself? Did you smash down that barrier? Did you bring yourself into this place? Did you unite yourself with a global community? No, you did not. It was the gift of God and all of grace. And that means something very important here today. If you're not part of this yet, there's space in it for you. I don't know why you're here this morning. There are a number of visitors here today, people that don't often come. It's great. But there's a reason why you're here. And maybe today is the day where God says it's for you. I want you to be part of this family, part of this community that is global and eternal through what Jesus has done for you. What is this church becoming? What are God's people becoming? That's the last thing here. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. Remember at the beginning he said, you're not part of this. But he says, now you are. But you're now fellow citizens with God's people. Got a new citizenship. You're citizens of the kingdom of God. You're citizens of heaven. It's like you've been given a new passport. I'm not going to speculate what color it might be. The Bible doesn't say I'm guessing it's many different colors. Pick your favorite. And you have a passport, and on it is simply stamped, Citizen of Heaven, part of the kingdom of God. It's a passport that works in this world to give you access to God. It's a passport that works after death so that you will be part of the kingdom of heaven forever. You are citizens of that kingdom. But it also says here you are members of his household. Family, that's what that means. It's not just that you're subjects of a great king, the great King Jesus. You're also part of 
his family, with God as your father, Jesus, your older brother, brothers and sisters around the world, stretching right the way back to the dawn of time. An amazing thing. It's not like you just get this new passport. It's like you get a new birth certificate. On the day when you were born again, on the day when you put your trust in Jesus, it's like you were given a new birth certificate that says, this one is born of Jesus Christ and is born again. And now adopted into the family of God. New passport. New birth certificate. And one more thing. Fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation, the apostles and the prophet, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Does that not blow your mind? You've been given a new address, a new place where you really belong. It's not that you live in just a place around here. It's not that you live out in North Somerset or Headley Park or Bishopsworth or whatever it is that happens to be your temporary home. You have a permanent home, a safe space, an amazing place as a living stone in the temple of God. And who lives there? God lives there by his spirit. He lives in you as an individual. If you trust him, he lives in you. But collectively, in a way that would not be obvious otherwise, he lives here, not in this building, but in us as a family in us as citizens of heaven, but an outpost of heaven here in Headley Park. We're an outpost of heaven. And around you are citizens of heaven, members of the family, living stones. Three implications for us. The first one is this, we don't have to hide. People often say, Neil, why do you say such terrible things about yourself from the pulpit? Well, that's because I'm just giving you the tiniest glimpse into me. We're all messed up, people. Jesus didn't come for the sorted. He came for the broken, the sinful, the lost. You'll leave here today unchanged if you don't recognize yourself in that. You're full of pride, full of self-confidence, full of arrogance. You walk out I might say, that was nice, but you'll be unchanged. Jesus came for us at our worst, so we don't have to hide. We operate as Christian people from acceptance, not for acceptance. We are acceptable to God because of Christ and Christ alone. On my worst days, he still loves me. On my best days, he still loves me. And on all the days in between, he still loves me. And all because of Jesus. And so some of us are lonely because we hide. We don't really let people get to know us because we're afraid. And a passage like today says you can come out from behind the curtain. 
You don't have to hide. God loves you. And you can go out in the confidence that he alone can give you, that you are part of his family, his kingdom, a living stone. And nothing that anyone says or does to you can take that away. That's eternally true of you. Second thing is this. It does away with the idea of church as club. For an hour on a Sunday morning, we come, we go. But we're not really family. Because here's the thing. Families care for one another. Families spend time with one another. Families go through the ups and downs of life with one another. So church's club will never work. Church's club means we hang out with the people who are a bit like us. We're suspicious of people that are new. We don't make much of an effort to get to know them, unless they're a bit like us. But church's family is different. Church looks at older people, people who are older than us and loves them. Church looks at younger people who are running around and making a noise and thinks, isn't it great they're here? Church looks at people from every nation and background, and as our church becomes more diverse, thinks, isn't this wonderful? Not, wasn't it better how it used to be? Church's club has no place here. If you want a club, go to another church. If you want to be part of a family, then reach out, even at the end of this morning's service, to someone who's not very much like you and get to know them. Finally, finally, all those blessings we've been thinking about, they're not just between me and Jesus. They're for us. And church family at its best is a wonderful thing. My first wife, Elaine, died on a Friday. Friday the 14th of August. Two days later, I wasn't sure I could face you. I felt so sad. I felt so broken. I didn't know how I'd bring the boys into church. So I sat them down and said, we don't have to go to church this morning. Might be too much. And Isaac simply said this to me. They are our family. Where else would we go? They are our family. Where else would we go? Would that be true for each and every one of us? They are our family. We are family. Where else would we go? Let me pray. Loving Heavenly Father, it just amazes me that right now we have access to you. Right now, even as we conclude this service, we have access to you. I want to thank you, Heavenly Father, for each and every person in this room. I thank you for those who are older and those that are younger. I thank you for those from different races. I thank you for those who are wealthy and those who are poor. I thank you that we are one, united in Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord, and friend. I pray, Lord, for those here who feel lonely, those who often feel on the outside. 
Lord, if they know you, I pray that they would live out that new identity knowing they are precious in your sight. Lord, for any here this morning who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would just break into their hearts right now like a flood. That Holy Spirit, you would break down all of those barriers and make Jesus and his blessings real to them. And Father, for us as a church, may we grow. Lord, for those who are struggling here, may they recommit themselves to loving others in this place. For those who are full of your love, help us to push forward so that in this place there might be a home for everyone, everyone who trusts in Jesus. Oh Lord, please, make us what you alone can make us. Take this church where only you can lead us and ready us for that day where we see Jesus. For we ask these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.